Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome, well, uh, welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joe and Ryan, and of course we have our, our special, oh, oh, we're going to have an, we're going to have an accompaniment, we're going to have our own little orchestra, are we? Oh, isn't that, no- <laughs> hi everybody, hey, <laughs> welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan, uh, I am Joel, and I'm Ryan. And uh, we have uh, our very sure Joel before we yeah. move on to our. <laughs> I know, podcast. I know. If you're watching the video feed, I have lost my luxurious Mike Donovan wig. I'm clothed, and that's also different um, uh, from the from the waist up. For you know, if you were watching, uh, as everybody who is a fan of the movie show with Joel and Ryan knows, I do every episode with no pants on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we are back. We are V free. We, uh, it has been a glorious time spending, uh, the last five weeks discussing V the original miniseries and V the final battle. Pretenama. No. And, um, now we are moving on. We are going into the fantastic world of time travel and the man who, uh, decided that it was time that we talk time travel is our very good friend, Rob Dunkelberger. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, Rob. Thanks for being on. It's great to see you. Um, and of course, if you were on the visual feed, you see that Rob has now officially been here so many dang times he gets his own tile. Uh, he's, it's now a movie show with Rob, Joel, and Ryan. Um, all right. So, um, yeah. So, Rob, how is everything going? This was this was your brainchild. Our, our little discussion on on um, a couple fantastic time travel movies today. Yeah, no, I mean, actually, everything hasn't been going great, as uh, you may have been aware. Uh, yeah. Had a bad April. <laughs> <laughs> a, slight, a slightly off-color yeah. April, yes. I, I definitely appreciated the shout-out on one of the shows, the well wishes, that that was really sweet. So thank you, guys. Um, For but sure. yeah, I mean, Ryan and I have been trying to figure out a way to talk about these two movies, uh, I think, since last time i came up with uh the first show i was on um because somewhere in time it takes place in a theater sort of and we did Mm -hmm. one on theatrical so that popped in but ryan's like i want to say that for something different and i agreed they both Um, come up before in the show but the um but not like this we're gonna this is really where they're this they're gonna be the star of this episode for sure which is very exciting time travel yeah. romances we'll call them right 
Right. That's double feature. The romance, they're really almost more romances than they are speculative fiction to yeah. a lot of degrees. But yes. that's 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 the the it's the romance part of it that ties the two together and at least in my head, which is fun. Yeah. Um, all right, so we are um, we're we're gonna get to that, uh, but first, um, Ryan made a a little discovery this week that we uh, we feel we need to share with our audience. Um, something that completely has eluded us, but I guess so. I guess speaking of time travel, yeah. we're gonna go back in time a couple years. <laughs> yeah, Joel and I did uh, part one and part two of the third part of a four-part deep dive series into the works of Steven Spielberg. I believe I got that right. Joel, as those episodes went on, got really good at saying that, but that's, it's a mouthful. <laughs> and we it's funny, so we just thought we would emphasize how convoluted that got. But uh, that second episode never got posted. I'm not sure why. Some cut and pasting error on my part, because it's a really difficult thing to do. We posted the picture of Munich, the cover of the artwork. We po we pitched it as a new episode that was about this. It got shared to, I don't know how many podcasting sites were on, a whole bunch of them. And uh, and it was a little weird. The The very next episode we did was, was John Grisham film adaptations. And that's one of our least listened to episodes of all time. <laughs> and I'm always like, that's oh, weird i mean it's it's uh, who knows you know who knows what people care about or are interested in but it seemed really really strange that that episode like people just tuned out didn't care <laughs> that is the line that we they will, will not cross we will not tolerate john grisham <laughs> well it turns out it turns out that the not everybody because some people pick and choose but the people who sort of listen to the show in order had just listened to the john grisham episode so they all just skipped it and that was the thing with the metrics was mm -hmm. that that Spielberg episode episode 2.37 a lost episode if you will mm -hmm. um was posted as the Grisham one which we recorded after so really confusing to me how I managed that I don't remember the details we cut Spielberg short about halfway through we must have recorded it the rest of it the same day we did that we, with one of those twofers, and I, that must have been yeah. it. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, yeah. I remember. I remember that's the only thing that explains this sort of weird. Yeah, mistake. back back in the before times when we would be in the same room, we're like, you know what? Let's just pause here, and we're gonna do another episode because we're just gonna keep talking because we had momentum, but we knew we needed to break the episode up. So, anyway, yeah. I'm gonna post it next week as an all new episode. We're gonna do a Facebook post and all that. So to draw, you know, if you're not caught up or you're not listening to this, but to our loyal listeners out there, it's not going to, it's really a bummer that I made that mistake, but because it's, it isn't going to filter down to all the other websites out there. Uh, Apple podcasts has got it. So some of the ones that are really big and active, you know, they go hunting for new ones. Um, or updates or changes, and they update them very, very quickly. But some of them will never update them, so they'll, it'll always be wrong, which bums me out. Mm -hmm. But Podbean, which powers the movie show with Joel and Ryan, has it updated. Apple Podcasts, for sure, has it. So those are the two most common ways that we're listened to. Uh, YouTube doesn't because we it was uh, it wasn't. There's no visual part of the show to that. 
but maybe we'll do just a YouTube video, you know, just to get the thing it's due. Joel and I go over, um, in that episode, we go over Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds, The Terminal, and Munich. And it's an awesome episode. Those are some films we have, uh, particularly me with Munich and Joel with Catch Me If You Can. Like, we, there's a lot of enthusiasm for the work and... And, and then I'll just say one more thing, you guys. Now, you're listening along. I know you're out there. I, I, I know exactly how many people listen to that episode, actually. To, it, to, and it's it just the wrong episode starts, and nobody told us all this time. You're looking at me, aren't you? Well, you were included, <laughs> but but no, this is pointed directly either. at you. Although, but, it, you know, it's... Um, 70 some people that listened to that episode that did not listen to the Grisham episode. That's how many people were like, oh, that's messed up and didn't say anything or make a <laughs> comment or just do anything. <laughs> they, they all, 70 something of you didn't just thought, I don't want to, oh, bummer, I don't get to hear the second Spielberg episode, but whatever. And you just went on with your life. Mm-hmm. It uh, does. It is also a confirmation that my mother indeed does not listen to this podcast because she would have she, pointed it out. To she would have right? absolutely pointed that out to me. Yeah, let, my mom does. Let she, me my mom's nice and likes and shares the post, but she doesn't. She doesn't. Let <laughs> me respond for seventy people. Well, seventy-seven say, people actually. <laughs> um, I, that's weird to me. I don't know how that would have happened. Um. If you, you there's no way you could have ever listened to the second part wrong. of the Spielberg deep dive, even though we pimped it everywhere, saying that's what it was. Yeah. If you clicked on those links everywhere you listen to podcasts, you'd have been taken to the wrong thing, and it's understandable that y'all didn't listen to the Grisham episode when you had just listened to it, mislabeled right. as a different podcast, and the stick to itiveness of the folks who actually listened all the way to the end of the second <laughs> Spielberg episode, when it turned out to have nothing to do with him kind of cool so you know i still love all of you guys it's not about that <laughs> yeah we're not we're not mad it's just it was it's weird we're just a little disappointed I, in you <laughs> for letting us I'd look realize, dumb like that for like two calendar years that's a little yeah. irritating i think if i'd realized at the time i would have sent you guys an email or or something you would have so for some reason yeah because you realize yeah you yeah you, you would have always reached out when yeah. uh when you've had thoughts on stuff so um yeah something so it's who, weird who knows i must have been behind so far behind like a week or two behind that's all I it takes up, is I just that went you're to the next one and yeah. And the way people listen to these things, they sort of log in and it just takes them to where they left off at the last yeah. one. We, we let these episodes run long because we were really wanted them to be around an hour. And then they were very consistently around an hour and 20 minutes. And now they've been two hours, two hours, two hours. As Rob said, every episode mm -hmm. doesn't have to be two hours. We're going to shoot for making this one a little under two hours. But we did have a lot of fans say, I don't really care. You guys seem to stress a lot about how long they are and we don't really care we don't listen to them all in one shot you listen to them when you're commuting you know in the background at work like the radio mm -hmm. that's how people experience podcasts we get that so we've let ourselves off the hook but perhaps we've gotten a bit bloated those spielberg <laughs> episodes are 
are fantastic. They're chock full of great stuff. And it's just the two of us, and they're just an hour and 20 minutes apiece. So it can be done. Well, uh, it wouldn't be the only thing that has uh, gotten bloated over the, <laughs> uh, over the last year. That's true. I, I don't uh, know how – I don't think we could have done the V episodes or some of these other ones any other way. But I think when you really commit to going through each moment or whatever, or if yeah. you commit to 10 – a 10-piece countdown per show – this is just right. today. It's just two movies and some video talk and some other fun stuff. And it's, and we got Rob, you know, I don't know how you're yeah. feeling, mate, but you look great. We're yeah, you do. You look I'm good. Feeling, I'm feeling a hundred percent better. So that's, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's jump into it, gang. Let's, um, uh, today we're going to be talking about, um, a couple, uh, beautiful, uh, romantic, um uh films that that have to do with love that that spans the time that has no it has no decade love is eternal and no we're not talking about the notebook um but we are going to be talking about two beautiful classic films one of them the first one well, we're going to talk about Time After Time, not the Cindy Lauper song, uh, but we're going to talk about uh, the the movie, the 1980, 70, 1979 movie, uh, uh, Time After Time. And uh, But first, we are going to talk about the glorious, romantic, gauzy filled, you know, like gauze lensed film, um, beautiful Mackinac Island of somewhere in time um yeah so uh when yeah, that somewhere one in time. come out 81 uh 80 80 so these yeah. really are really close yeah kissing cousins um and i mean maybe it's good to start off talking about the concept of double features sure um i know sure. I love good, the, oh good idea yeah when i'm having somebody over or getting together with a group i've got a couple of groups that we we try and get together monthly or so to to do something um it's really fun if you can can schedule a double feature um you try and find a theme or you know for some some reason they're just joined together uh for this one um and I see Ryan, you got, you've, you've got uh, soderberg's che uh, speaking, uh, looking at me on the wall back there. You ever make your friends sit through that double feature? <laughs> no, no. That's a, that's a mean one. <laughs> I have that too. Don't get me wrong. It's a, I don't have it as prominently displayed as you, but I definitely do have it. Um, <laughs> that's kind of. Uh, sorry, I just thought of it. I'm right. like, hey, that's a double feature. That's two movies yeah. for the price of one. Um. Well, and, and Ryan, you point out like for you with a double feature, it's important that they're in the same era, well, sort of, and whatever. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know that it's important for me. It's, it, it, it maybe isn't, but it's, I'm OCD about it. To the, the that the, I, that's how I sort of experience things and mix things. I find things sure. that are way out of era or super not related. Um, like it feels incongruous and random to me, which I don't like. I always like there to be a reason for it. I think part of the fun of thinking up double features for your friends is to have 
some connection, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be era, and it shouldn't. They shouldn't be so similar that you feel like you watch the same movie two times in a right. row either. I mean, yeah. that's that's variety is key to it working, yeah. right? You don't but, want to remake. Let's watch this and the remake. <laughs> yeah, let's watch Psycho and then the shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. But a, like a, a fun double feature for me that, that really goes to, to totally different eras would be like the Maltese Falcon and Brick. Sure. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be that's a fun. fun. I can see how that would be really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I love to program those. I, th- I think you might too. I do. Um, even if it's just for yourself, you know. Yep. P- pairing a good, uh, making a good night of a a nice pairing or whatever an easy way to make a double feature if you don't want to give it too much thought or you just want to start out is literally to take two movies that came out around the same time that are totally different and just stick them together and then they feel like you went to me that you feels like you went out to the movie theater to the yeah exactly to the drive-in and you watched a double feature you know what i mean i that that's the double features of my past you know bird on a wire and and Total Recall was one. So those movies are, they're nothing alike, but they're they are from the same summer, and they're just sort of connected in my head because I really did see a double feature of those. Um, that sort of thing, to, to me, that's that, that's that's why there's era stuff involved. I yeah. enjoy that. that um, and that makes sense. And, and, and for these two, I mean, there's a thematic uh, key sure. to these two, definitely. Yeah. A, a um, sort a of multifaceted concept. thematic connection yeah. between them. And uh, they're from the same time period. I fell in love with them at the same time. So there's there's that personal connection too, is these played on cable over and over when I first had cable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've been linked in my mind since I was 10 or whatever. Both know? were considered fairly successful films because they they were both very modest productions. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. they like a lot of films from that era, that the golden era of, of, of cable TV, basically. Yeah. They, 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 they found their audiences truly on HBO and on Showtime or whoever was mm-hmm. playing them during that, you know, when the, those, companies were desperate to show whatever and they they you know they played these films over and over over, over, again. over, and, mm, over. and somewhere in yeah somewhere in time i was reading um like the, the one of the first pay one of the first pay channels that along with hbo was like z entertainment or something like that in new york and um the guy who ran z entertainment was so in love with somewhere in time that he he uh he programmed it it was programmed um like 16 times in one week to, to play at like at you know d- d- different times throughout the throughout that is, the day that is beastmaster level yeah, obsession. yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah so it yeah it's um and that and it is and that is where it it found its audience it you know it at the time you know this was this was you know christopher reeve uh you know the superman um and everyone loves him as Superman, and uh, most people can only see him as Superman. Well, he was a guy who went from being nobody to being a huge star overnight, and then this mm-hmm. this really, I believe this really was his second film after the Superman success, the second movie that he made after that. Yeah. Um, and he wouldn't have, I mean, you can't rewrite history. I mean, he wouldn't have been considered for this 
without that right. obviously yeah. he was he the, people weren't sure how big a star he was going to be but he was this tall good-looking charismatic guy who took the world by storm and superman he is for say what you want about his inability to sort of shed that role he did make a, he did give a lot of interesting performances and make a lot of cool movies especially i believe he made the most out of that era the, between Superman and Superman two. And just after where that whole string of films there, he's really picking things and doing things carefully mm -hmm. to do something different. This guy, yeah. not to get would, typecast, right? Exactly. Not to be typecast. Yeah. Um, and then of course you get to the point in your career where you're happy to just give me whatever, you know, tall, good looking mm -hmm. hero role you have. I'll do it. Like it, <laughs> the the pressures on you from a career aspect change, you know what I mean? So it's, but it's this, it's this beautiful story and we'll get to kind of how it was received and, and how it did when we're at, at the end of talking about it, Joel, don't let me move past that. Cause it is kind of interesting how the producers and stuff see how this film was received mm -hmm. because it was, it, it, it's a weird movie that was almost that nobody gave a, care about when it, they started working on it. In fact, nobody wanted to do it. They negotiated the budget down to a nickel. Um, they just were obligated. They had the, the guy who was running universal at the time owed Geno Swark a favor because he came in and it was widely recognized as saving jaws too, which at, at the time yeah. made the, made the, when we talked about this in our jaws episode, yeah. he, he was given a marker, like literally, this is, uh, he was given a marker and saying, hey, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you took on John D. Hancock's, uh, you know, his credit, his fee, his everything. You, 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 you know, you weren't able to negotiate your way into this in any way. But we think you made a genuinely good movie. It was one of the top five films of, you know, nobody thinks Jaws 2 is as good as Jaws. I don't think they really thought that at the time, but it was it was a huge hit and, you know, and it was considered a fairly good movie and 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 if anything, it's it you know, it's it its reputation I don't know, it's been kind of an EKG of a reputation on that Jaws right. 2 film, but it really mm -hmm. is, I think and part of this is the films that came after, right? The Jaws movies yeah. which are really yeah love them or hate them they're they're terrible by comparison his sequel is considered pretty good and it was it that film was in real trouble and he came in he was patient with the effects he got, he was really really good with the young cast that were carrying that film for the most part they were the ones out on the ocean every day it wasn't our heroes like last time mm -hmm. um you know that was the long complicated part of the shoot and he just did this awesome job. Everybody loved him. He's a very lovable guy. You will not find anybody on the internet saying a bad word about him. You know, he's just really cool. And he, it's, this is his baby. And it's so cool that it is because it's his best film without question. And it's, and he just, he just was somehow, you know, you have that magic. We talk about it all the time when you connect with a story and it just wouldn't let go. They really tried to talk him out of it. They tried to make it so it almost couldn't be made. That way he would change his mind. But he just stuck with it. Every 
every issue, every budgetary problem that he got thrown at, he took as a challenge that he met with a creative solution. And it made the film better at every step of the way. Um, but the big first step was just standing his ground. And I'll tell you, that's something that directors don't do today. They just don't do it. Partly, they're not in a position to do it. it you know, mm -hmm. if you're doing Dark Phoenix and you're Simon Kinberg, and even if you've been in Hollywood for 20 years like he has, it, they're the boss of you. I mean, there's nothing you can do. You just have to do what they say. And even if you hate it, you just have to do it and do the best you can with it. And that film, of course, is this bland dull, homogenized mess of a thing. It's not incompetently bad or anything. It's just flat. It, the life is, the creative life has clearly been drained out of it. Despite these thousands of creative people that worked on the thing, you could mm -hmm. just feel that the vision behind it was a compromised one. And that's because you're working on that scale. You, you don't get to call your own shots. Once they approved a tiny little budget for somewhere in time, and you know went to work on it casting designing you know it's there's not a lot of designing going on the most of the costumes you see are vintage they went and made it they was uh the, in the little novella or the little book that the that the movie's based on the the hotel that the primary action takes place in is that that really cool one in San Diego that's featured in the stuntman and some other movies yeah another vintage seaside hotel that has a lot of personality um, but Mackinac Island was a, was genius because the wagons, the horses, everything's already there. The, the, the old style boats, the, the servants costumes, like every, it's already there. It's all already there. Everything's vintage, everything in that hotel, there's TVs in there and stuff, but they, you know, essentially they didn't have to do much to create this mysterious, wonderful world of the past. Yeah. And, yeah. and Mackinac Island is a, maybe just between Jane Seymour and uh, Christopher Plummer as the third most important character in the thing. It, it really is the, the yeah, star you, of the show a, in a lot of ways. That's an excellent point. I mean, yeah, that, that is an absolute excellent point. Uh, yeah. Mac, Mackinac, uh, Island is, is uh, I mean, yeah, that, no cars are allowed there. It's, it's just the, the whole idea. It's, it's, it's not just like a vacation destination. It's an, it's an idea. It's something you have to buy into right. when you go there. And it's, I, uh, uh, I showed this exact double feature to George last weekend Yeah. as I was going to watch him again to, to, to refresh myself or whatever. And I've been periodically trying to show George some classic movies. He's, he sort of asked for it. I feel like there's movies I haven't seen that I should see or whatever. So we've been, you know, watching Casablanca and things like that, things they hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And I said, these are both, I guess they're classics now because they're over 40 years old. Right. Um, and I love them. So are you interested? He said, yeah. Uh, so we watched, and he said, wait, somewhere in time, is that the one that takes place at the hotel I was conceived in? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I it spent a long weekend. It was a murder mystery weekend. Yeah. Uh, we participated very little in the murder mystery weekend because we were there because of somewhere in time um, and, and to work on making another child. And it's a great, it's a great place to be. It is like stepping back. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's a great place to make another child. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, wow. yeah, it I worked. Mean, so that, <laughs> that too, there's a romantic. That too, there, yeah, it is. There's yeah, a romantic um, take your mind off the rest of the world yeah. sort of error to the whole thing. And yep, and, and, and there's rules like, and it may have changed in the 18 years since then. If uh, anything, it's more strict now to, than it was then. You had to dress for dinner. You had to wear a jacket. Yeah. Um, and women had to wear dresses, and so we had to buy clothes to go there for that weekend. Um, and there's ballroom dancing after dinner. And I mean, it was, it was a, it was a great weekend. It's a great place to go. I'd love to go back for another weekend sometime. I don't want to make any more kids, but <laughs> you know, I'll practice. Yeah. I was going to say, you could go through the motions, I guess. But all that aside, let's do what we do and kind of start at the beginning. Cause the 1980 yeah. aspects of this film are really pretty awesome as well, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. It starts out, it's this really, uh, it's a very 70s style movie, even though it came out in 1980. Um, in a way, it's timeless, but the the present day stuff give you that feel of a, of a, of a late 70s drama slash mystery, basically. Yeah. Um, like the scenes at the theater, the party after the theater, the way they're shot and the sort of cinema verite style of it of the dialogue because the film becomes a very formal thing, but early go in the early goings where we see this young college student who's just kind of seen his last big play staged and he's going off into the world to, you know, make his mark artistically. It's this really neat. It, the scene just has this really lot of personality and a lot of cool energy to it. There's, you know, it's only the only scene we see with this particular group of people. Some of the faces are recognizable. That's kind of yeah, neat. William H. Macy. Yeah. To, to name there. one, there's a handful yeah. of them in it that are, it's kind of cool. And they're all young people at the time. They're all the famous people are all old people now. Um, just it's very very cool and this weird thing happens where this old old lady who's been sort of they, they again the, he's really clever the way he shoots this there's nothing else in Janot's career that that just shows this sort of um I don't know what and I really do think it's because it's a low budget film where they once they said it was okay to make it they kind of did just leave him alone because why why bother fussing over it in a way mm -hmm. they're re they're reducing the thing really helped him a lot because he just yeah. was able to do whatever he wanted. He takes the time in this scene to establish this sort of figure in the background who's kind of waiting their turn to what to congratulate him. We're not sure. Um, she's got this older lady that has like something of a nurse or something with her that's helping her along. And she comes up and I'll let you Rob, what, what did she, she comes up and kind of takes him by the hand and, and she looks says, him in the eye. And she says, me. say it again. I think it's come back to me. Come back to me. Yep. And she hands him this pocket watch. Yep. That's part of the handshake. The watch is yep. hidden in the, in the, in the handshake. And Reeve's great in this moment. This old woman is fantastic, but Reeve is great because he, you can tell he's just sort of gobsmacked by it. Something, it was a very simple thing, but something happened there and we're not, mm -hmm. he's not sure what it is, but he kind of becomes obsessed with it a little bit. Yeah, that whole, that whole opening moment uh, is, is really, I mean, 
you're right. There's this there's this aura about the woman because as she's slowly walking forward, everyone parts. Yep. You know, they're all partying. The it's the, the it's the you know they're celebrating. Uh, they're celebrating what the opening night, I believe, of the of this play that he's written in college, and everyone's like, oh, he's so great, and 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 then everyone just like stops as and she parts and she just walks up to him and you know. I, I, yeah, and no one knows who she is, and he doesn't know who she is, and yeah, and, yeah, and the, this, the room, everything becomes room. still and quiet. And yeah, and then she turns around and walks away, and everyone watches her go, and then they're like, "Okay, cake," you know. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's, and then we it's jump just, forward a couple of years where he's well, actually like we follow year, her yeah. home. Oh, oh yeah, we right. follow her home. We follow her home. She, she drives to the Grand Hotel. Uh, she goes to her room. And her companion, uh, maid, whatever this mm-hmm. person is, is like, mm-hmm. are you all right? And he just says caregiver, we'll call her. In. That's what she would be considered today. Yeah. yeah. And, she doesn't um, say a word. She, she plays her music box and she looks out the window. And that view that she sees is important because we're going to see it again. Right. Mm-hmm. Later in the film. Yep. It's very, very and, cool. And, you know, we, we're going to be spoiling all over the place. That's the night she dies. Right. So that's the view she's looking at when she, mm-hmm. you know, when she passes. So, yeah. So then we cut forward like eight years and Christopher, uh, Christopher Reeve's character, um, um, Richard, um, has uh, he's written several successful plays. He's uh, he's plugging along. He's in this beautiful uh I mean, what, this beautiful. It's like a Lakeshore Drive yeah, Lake kind Drive. of condominium building right mm-hmm. on Lake Michigan in Chicago. It's very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Even for uh, a late seventies apartment, it's it's very. Yeah. Like when you look at it today, it still feels very modern and chic. It's very. Yeah. It's I, it's really. Great. I like that design aspect to it. I love his little out of time car that says something about him. Um, and I, again, I just—we're only in Chicago for a couple minutes, but it just feels—it feels kind of magical in a cool way. Like you feel mm-hmm. that he is tapped into the world. He's this artist in the big city. It, you know, his interactions with his agent—they're kind of fun, but he's kind of suffering writer's block and doesn't know how to get inspired for his next thing. Mm-hmm. But you, you're right. You do—you feel this sense of the modern world, a modern man with all these pressures. Yep, and. The hustle well, and, and bustle of Chicago, right? And him just—he's getting away from all that. And There's no—they the don't have time or money for a scene where he's interacting and in, with right. crowds on the street or anything. But it's the film it's, still does a very good job of putting him right in the heart of. I mean, you know, a Lakeshore Drive address is if you're a Chicago, if you're somebody of note in Chicago, that's a good mm-hmm. good spot to be, basically. And I like that you put out. You know, he's got this—he's got this vintage convertible car. Um, you know, it, it, when he's he's frustrated, he listens to classical music. You know, he's not you know he's not listening to disco or you know whatever. He's just he's he's you know he is he's this old soul. He's this you know we, we get this they get that established um, uh, in, in you know in in this in these moments yeah and the drive and so he's like i'm getting out of here i gotta go somewhere i don't know where i'm gonna go but i'm gonna get out and and you know essentially clear his head look for inspiration he's he's just he's got to go and see if he can figure out what he's gonna write about and we, and, and then we get again get some great chicago things of him driving along lake michigan 
um, yep. heading and, out of town uh, to and heading out of town to get inspired, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, yeah, which he which takes him uh, randomly to uh, this. He's driving by and he sees this. He sees this. You know, kind of sees this old hotel, and then he stops the car in the middle of the road and backs up. Uh, thank goodness yeah, there's, there's no the traffic. Film, the film doesn't mention Mackinac yeah. or, or it, it's yeah. just this place that he stumbles upon. Uh, it's somewhere in Illinois or Michigan or wherever he is mm-hmm. at, or uh, Wisconsin, probably that it feels like he's in like some Kenosha area up the lake <laughs> from Chicago, which is, he went to you know, the Dells. Well, you know what I mean? I mean that <laughs> no, it feels yeah. like that when you yeah. live in Chicago, when you go to the country, that's sort of the way you go. You right. don't go down to, Springfield or something. There's yeah. nothing down there. You go they up, you the, go up the you, lake one way or another. Yeah, they ignore the fact that you have to actually get on a ferry to get right. The, all that stuff. I mean, they, they yeah. don't. Yeah. They no that's road. not the place no he is. He's in this yeah. other pl- made up. Yeah, place. he's yeah he's not in Mackinac, you know, Island. He's not that's just there. That's just that's where just they the recreated. That's where they shot that. Yeah, they recreate. This is the Grand Hotel. Any yeah, that little is, car. Yeah. Get you know again. It was a city government thing. I mean, just as a behind the scenes thing to get that little car to be able to be in the city, to mm-hmm. be able to be near the hotel. Like it was this big deal, and you know they sent all the uh, you know the, all the local authorities out there to make sure everything was okay and stuff. While while they shot these little scenes of the car driving up and and being valet parked or whatever. When when we went there, we we did a you know carriage ride sort of, of thing yeah. and the yeah. person driving it i think their name was butchie and she talked about when they were filming that she was there and christopher reeves was being a jerk with his car or something and you well, know he... it's 20 years ago i can't remember but i think she said she punched him oh really <laughs> <laughs> and they had to they had to get the car off of the island in the next 24 hours. So luckily they've gotten right. Shots they got this. Exactly. It was a law. You, you can yeah. have this here for this set amount of time or whatever. Um, even when he's not really featured, Chris uh, believe the story is that he insisted on driving it himself. Yeah. Um, which normally you would have a second unit or an insert shot or something. This movie doesn't have any second unit photography that I'm aware of. It was all, this is a very, they were all very yeah. accomplished people who worked on, big movies of the era, but there was this small group. It was only yeah. so many people that could even come. They, they all, they could, didn't stay in the hotel cause they didn't want the hotel being disrupted. So they stayed in these little cabins or whatever, basically on the, you know, around the bay. So they all kind of had to take bikes to work every day and stuff. Um, cause there are not enough carriages to shuttle all these people over to the hotel. Yeah. Uh, it's just, they, it was all these things that they had to fix, um, to hear, uh, there's not, uh, Chris was really fond of this movie, but there's not. He, um, he didn't talk much about it until after his accident, and then he really he was gone before the real era of these sort of making of tributes and things yeah. ca- came in. So we learn a lot about it from Seymour's point of view and from Swark's point of view. They're the two that. You know, and the the I can't remember the name of the producer, but you know he was cynical about it as well, and he the the film really won him over. Ultimately, it's fun to hear him telling stories about how his mind just slowly changed, and this became this thing he really really cared about at some point. 
But yeah, Chris, <laughs> there's the story that it was a difficult day. That day with the car was tough, not just because your star was, you know, trying to, quote, do his own stunts or whatever. Yeah. All he does is drive up in the car. the car. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's movies. If We've all been, all three of us have been, Joel more than the other two of us, but we've all been on movie sets and stuff. And sometimes it's the whatever thing that just is the thing that day and nothing really works and you don't know why. There's not, there's some, there's not a real reason for it. And this car with the cops, all of them on the island out monitoring its usage and all this. And just the pressure of we got to get this car stuff done just became this self-fulfilling prophecy of this terrible day shooting this movie. It's one of the first days they did on the film was this, this the arrival. Because let's get this out of the way, get the car yeah. out of here, and yeah. then everybody will calm down, which is basically what happened. But a lot of nervous energy. was. <laughs> it's yeah. fun to hear. I'm not sure if I believe that she punched yeah. the star of the movie in the face, but... Yeah. It's fun to hear that there's someone there who remembers this and that that's the big story she tells on every carriage ride like that right. is enchanting to me so I yeah. I dig that very that much. So, cool. so why not hit them, yep. make out with them, you know, whatever. Right. Do whatever you want <laughs> in the story. I, don't, I hooked up with Christopher Reeve. Lay it on me, eccentric yeah. local, you know, that's what I'm here for. I want to hear about someone in time. Uh, uh, so, so, so yes. Yeah, so Richard, uh, so Richard, um, checks into this hotel intending to only stay the night. Um, and he's, you know, just, it's, he gets a room. He's looking out at the view. The view is, is beautiful. He's just like, wow, this is great. Um, all right. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go get some food. Great. But problem is dining room hasn't opened yet. That's true. Yep, what are you going to so, do? He's he kind of meets some somebody time. in here that's kind of important, doesn't he? The yes, yeah. this is well, yeah. When he first gets there, yep. he meets uh, Arthur. Arthur, yeah. the the who's a bellhop essentially. Yep. Um, See but you around, has, Arthur. Yep, but Bar- but Arthur has okay. been uh, at the Grand Hotel since his his father was the desk clerk and and arthur was a little boy and boy and he he essentially grew up at the grand hotel and um and arthur has this little moment where where chris you know where richard says that line to him see around arthur and it's a nice actor moment from chris because reeve could really play that you know a million ways it could be wrong. The only real way to do it right is to just do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's the off-the-cuff thing that it is. You know what I'm saying? And that's how he does it, and thank God for that. Because I really, like I said, a lesser movie with an actor that that whose instincts aren't as attuned, you really might get a... No offense, but a see around. Yeah, a little, a William Shatner sort of, <laughs> let's stop the whole show for this key line. Because it... Mm-hmm. Anyone who has knowledge of the script understands it's kind of a big deal, but it it has to not be for it to play, and Reeve gets that, thank God. It has to be Arthur's reaction to it. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's just like, have we met before? Mm, which I is an absurd thought. Yeah, that is absurd. Of course, he's never been here before, so why would he? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't um, even so, know this place was here. Yep, yeah. so... So then he he's got to kill some time, right? So he goes mm-hmm. to the Hall of Records or Hall of History or yeah, a little yeah, they have a little museum, yep. little museum little, in the hotel, a little basement museum then, that shows the history of the hotel. What's that? That photograph. Oh my yeah. goodness! That's just, I'm entranced. He's entranced. He's he's looking at things. Who is this woman? <laughs> and he just. Who is that bald woman? He cannot stop. 
He can He cannot stop looking. That is not acceptable. <laughs> that is not, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't do that. No, he I didn't do the that. Real James <laughs> no, I got this on Mackinac Island Joel. at the Grand Joel, Hotel. Joel, when he least expects, it's going to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is the painting that I, I gaze at longingly. Uh, it's, um, but you, the way this photo, okay, just as a filmmaking mm -hmm. moment. This is the opposite of what I was just talking about. Like the the see around Arthur is a, was one thing, and there's only one way to do it. This thing where he sees this, and we see it before he sees it, mm -hmm. which is just I just recommend you watch this sequence as a way to create visual interest. Everything about it is perfect. I really really am in awe of it every time I see it. It's maybe at first it you know it is what it is to mean to an end. You, but when you become a lover of this film, this when the photo appears for the first time, it's it's just I I don't I, it's second to none as far as other sequences in the film, which yeah. there are several memorable ones. And as he goes to it, going through that shaft of light, yeah, and, and the way that's edited, seeing his perspective, and you can see that there's a light shaft there. Yep, and then cutting to his point of view, cutting, and yeah. it's just perfectly edited as well as shot and, and conceived like that really yeah. that's the brilliance of this they pull it yeah. off which is great but just to have conceived it this way this incredibly yes. romantic you know romantic yes but romantic and sort of the, the the what we use when we we talk about art it's this big thing it's hard to explain it's this epic moment that's this very intimate thing between this guy and a and a photograph old photograph hanging on a wall but it it's that picture hold it up again rob where we don't where we won't be distracted by my horrible face that you i love that you actually have that it, it's by and look my, at that that's uh, look at the photo machine hanging on the wall jane seymour talks about having that taken and the un, after the film or it, the ungodly pressure on her to you know <laughs> yeah. oh, show up and be the mona lisa so that important. day basically and look at her. She is. That she's look on so, her face. She's, she's stunning. And yeah, it is a look of, of someone who has absolutely fallen in love. Um, it, it is, is it really is, great and super important, you know. Yeah, and, 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 and is looking right at the yeah, and is looking right at the camera yep. so that the eyes follow you wherever. When 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 to skip ahead when they take that we get to see him take that photograph right. and it's you see all the emotion behind it before you even see that scene. But when you see that scene, it drives it home. There's yep. the... catches Richard's eye yeah. and, the and the look changes. It's really, really awesome. And uh, it's, you know, we, one of my favorite time travel movies, is, which is one of everybody's favorites, The Terminator, which also has a photo in it that is used in very much the same mm -hmm. way, which is also basically a romantic time travel film, which would make a decent double feature with this yeah tonally it'd be a little different but yeah. but they it's funny that that movie really takes its cues from somewhere in time to a large degree when you not in any way that you would ever think but in all the ways that matter and that make it what it is in the end i always think that's kind mm -hmm. of funny that and the photograph to me is the thing where it almost feels like a, that can't be a coincidence you know what i mean the story of this photo in the different periods where it ends up, what the meaning behind the expression on her face really is when we find out what it is, you know, yeah. we'll get to that. But he yeah. becomes obsessed with this photo, Richard. Yeah. He, he just, yeah, he, he has to find not, out who she is. He wants to know if maybe she's still around. As he first sees it, 
he feels like she's looking at him like she loves him. And of course she is. It turns out she is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's really, really cool. And he goes on one of those really cool. And I wish they still had more of these. They do, but it's not the same, but he goes on one of these cool library, uh, investigations. And I, Nothing makes yeah. me happier in a movie than a good old library investigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, yeah, the, 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 uh, the, and and his. I love. Uh, he he goes up to the librarian woman. He's like, "Do you have any magazines or anything that talk about you know theater or anything here?" And she's like, "Well, yes, but they're all the way in the back." And I'm just about. And he's like, and he just he just flashes that yep. Christopher Reeve smile. He's like. Thank you oh, so much. So I much. really That's appreciate great. you yeah, getting thanks. those for me. And he's just and, and she and she even is like, I am powerless against the handsomeness of this man. <laughs> it's true because it plays, my goodness gracious, he is so. It plays exactly gorgeous. like that. It's yeah. not just yeah. his handsomeness though. It's this. He's he, there's this yeah, the thing energy, you get where yeah. he's gonna get this, and mm-hmm. and it's her sort of resignation that oh, then I guess I'm gonna do it, mm-hmm. and and it's that's awesome and yeah. I love his little searching back through time. You know what I mean? One of the sad things I think, I don't want to fly all over the place with Terminator and whatever, but one of the sad things that was in the movie and that was a big part of the book in the shining was this, that I loved was this, this, this history book that he kind of finds and becomes obsessed with. And this sequence reminds me of the way I feel about that, how we Mm -hmm. learn through these visual cues and these little blips of headlines and things. And, and then we learn even more by him telling the story of what he discovered later. Mm -hmm. It's just all, it's done very economically and it, 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 it's not a mystery where we're like, we have to find out who killed so-and-so. Right. But it does have that mysterious, you know, I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. I like watching research on TV. That's really weird, but I, I dig it. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, so yes, yeah, so, and, and and part of part of this obsession, uh, you know, he's visiting the, the the he's he spends if he's not uh, in a library looking up things, if he's not reading something about this woman who we come to find out her name is Elise McKenna. Uh, if we um, are, if he's not le- learning about her, he is staring at her. And he is just uh, living for that uh, the, this this photograph that is hanging in the museum. No, this isn't totally a deep dive here, so we don't want to. We're yep. gonna if we keep he, going at right. this pace, we're gonna it's gonna be the whole show. Um, but so he. Uh, but there's yeah, so another he, bit of research that he has to do that's key that we have to talk about. And so this he's is, just like yeah. So he he remembers. Uh, I love so this he, scene, Rob. You yep, feel he, the same way. This guy that he goes and talks to. Yep. So he goes to the college. He goes to the college that was just up the road, which is where he went to school and, you know, where where that opening scene took takes place. And he remembers this this uh, I can't remember if it was I think it was a philosophy teacher. He goes to and sees Elise's old assistant. Well, yeah, that's whatever. And this was her favorite book. And he's like, oh, I had this guy as a teacher and the the author, the last name's Finney. Which is a nod to Jack Benny, who wrote uh, and, and, a time and book. this uh, time, uh, time and again, time and right? again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish somebody'd make that into a proper movie. Method. Yeah, in a way, sense. time and again, particularly by this film, but by others too, has been ripped off so much that it would feel yeah. a little rote. I think if you saw it just adapted straight. But yes. that's a really I fun. Agree. Any fans of time travel fiction or romantic fiction, time and again is a must read. It's yeah. it's the. Well, I guess Wells, but 
to me, it's the time travel book. It really is special. It's, um, yeah, it's really lovely. It's, and and this guy's wrong. named after him yeah. for a reason because his method of traveling back in time is the one that's laid out very, very carefully and yeah. yep. in time and again. Yeah. And and because it's a, it's it's not this, exactly the same, but it's this very similar hypnosis type of method yep. that Reeve ends up using to travel back in time. Mm-hmm. And, and so Richard Matheson gives it a little nod because he, he wrote the book and the screenplay. Right. And, you know, acknowledges that yeah, that's where it's coming from, which I, right. I think is pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. very cool. But let's quick I'm glad about, you brought up Matheson because we haven't yep. mentioned his name yet. Yeah. yeah and he's as important to yeah. the success mm-hmm. of Somewhere in Time as anybody having written the story in the first place. So let's talk about this method, uh, the method of of time travel. And actually, essentially... Rob, by that, met, by that metric, um, the, the Hollywood really shouldn't have been so cynical. I mean, how many awesome Richard Matheson no. stories have been adapted into incredible, yeah. memorable things, right? Yeah. All of them, essentially. Yep. That's a little mm-hmm. weird. It's, yeah. It's just that it's not a horror or science fiction movie in terms of how they think of it. Right. This is really a romance. Right, right, right. It's a little um, yeah, stuff. And, it's a little stayed and the Yeah, and rom- you know, yeah, romance, I mean, romance films were... This guy, you know, Professor Finney, the, his yeah. story, and we always talk about the power of the guy telling the story. His story is compelling. It really... Mm-hmm. He gets a great moment, that yeah. actor. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, and, and he, he uh, does it really, really well. It's fantastic. Yeah. But he, it, it, because he's a... Uh, I don't want to call him a cynic, but he's a professor. He... he comes at this at a very pragmatic way, even when he's telling this fantastical story, but it makes Richard believe he can really pull this off. And Joel, I'll let you yeah, get back as to where you say, were the, Yeah. The, uh, the, the methodology behind this is essentially you, you uh, almost meditate or hypnotize yourself into believing that you exist in this previous time period. And so therefore your whole your whole metaphysical existence will indeed go with your mind uh and put you in that time period uh it is it is very it's it's you know essentially you're willing yourself you're willing yourself back in time and if you believe hard enough if you will yourself hard enough you can do it what Finney describes is this moment where he felt he saw it, yeah. but mm-hmm. that it was this fleeting thing and that his this, conscious yeah. mind uh, pushed back against it and then he was back where he belonged. So he's mm-hmm. just, is this, so this in order vision to where do it, for a moment he really believed he was looking at this street in this other time. Reeve takes all the tech, it, the yeah. alarm clock, the TV, shoves it in the closet. Gets, yep. Anything that could possibly be, uh, you know, be can, you know, thought of as, as modern day. Finds an old puts, vintage suit, a little too vintage yeah. as it turns out, but one roughly from the era gets all dressed yep. up in it and lies on his back mm-hmm. and, and just with all his heart. And it takes a lot of effort and a long time. Mm-hmm. It and, tries and to envision he, himself back in the time. Yeah, and he records himself. He records himself <laughs> going, you know, you exist in 1912. You are you are there to see Elise McKenna. Like he's recording this, and then he's playing this tape recorder right. next to him, and it's. I, I was like, that I love that so much. I get rid of all the tech. Yeah. Except that there's this piece of tech that I'm completely relying on right. to but if, help me with But this. if you know about um, 
like meditation and hypnosis, the sound of that, the voice mm-hmm. instructing you really yeah, the is. Drone. A, yeah, that, it's an important element of that. So, and, yeah, and so, it is. It is a modern frust- modern technique, but nevertheless, and he's frustrated, and he he ends up going to Arthur in the middle of the night, going, "There's got to be, you know, hey, is there something, you know, there is there more stuff? Is there more stuff from that era?" And he's like, "Well, yeah." It's Arthur's like, "Yeah, it's in the attic," and the key piece that uh, that Richard needs. Um, it's this great little uh, uh, time paradox moment, but Richard goes through the um, is going through all this old stuff in this attic and finds an old uh, uh, guest book and flips through, finds the 1912 guest book, finds that date, finds that time, and lo and behold, who has signed in yes. on this thing? It's him. So it is he he by seeing that he can do it, he knows that he can do it. And so therefore he goes back and he does it. Super cool. And he knows what time he knows check in and knows mm -hmm. what room he's going to get. Yep. It's very, very cool. And so much fun. And so like I say, now that we've gotten here and that this is going to work, we have to step this up a little bit and get through the relationship bits a little quicker yeah so he gets there we get this great yeah we get these great scenes of him you know he's uh, he's not like other people have come into his room right he's in someone else's room he's in someone else's room because yeah he's not in the room that he checks into hiding out and everything Mm -hmm. and then then he sneaks out of the room where this couple mm -hmm. is having this argument and uh yeah and um you know christopher reeve i mean the whole movie is on christopher reeve's uh amply huge shoulders um but and he to some degree and i would say seymour's as well she has to be this she has to somehow be a person eventually the movie wouldn't work if she didn't become one and yet the whole film up until this point and really the whole first half of this you know uh second act in the past is 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 her being just overtly romanticized it it takes a a sort of special actor to to understand that you're that which she i don't think at that point Mm -hmm. she'd have any problem pulling that off the the trickier part is to bring her down to earth and make her this believable person in a shorter amount of time that we can put with this other Mm -hmm. guy and believe them as like a real thing and that to me is the magic of her performance all right let me hustle up so we can get there so uh so he comes down we get these great scenes of him uh coming down the hotel is bustling with people and he he, he sees you know all the old-timey vacuum cleaner and everything else and he knows what little room boy, he needs to be in but he knows that what room, room is taken gotta, yeah but wait it's not taken. It's one of those. It's not t- yeah no, and he, he hasn't but, checked in yet he's yeah he hasn't checked in yet day. but he goes he does yeah, meet arthur he does Check meet Arthur, in. the little boy, uh, you know, so we get, you know, so we do get this moment where, you know, where he, he connects with this little, this little boy named Arthur and he puts it together. He's like, oh yeah, you must be Arthur who I meet later on. But he's, um, he's going around, he's, he's like, looking for Elise. He's, he's like, where's he's Elise McKenna? I got to find very, Elise McKenna. very single-minded about it. And they, you know, he goes by the, the theater where Elise McKenna is the performing and they're like, oh, if she's anywhere, she's down by the lake. Cause that's where she always hangs out. So he goes there and, um, uh, and the shot where he is yes. looking and and the door closes and we see we see the reflect yeah the shade yes. gets pulled I'm down fine. and when the shade gets pulled down we can see then the reflection yep. and off in the distance looking out at the lake there she is Elise it's McKenna, one of a half James dozen Seymour. breathtaking shots in the film yeah. it really yeah. is yep. amazing 
And um, so a very... And, uh, and then the, one of the that. others gets... is this very next one as he approaches her and the way it's mm-hmm. backlit naturally and stuff, the way she appears to him. And what does she, she say gets... to him, Rob, when he walks up to her? Is it you? Is it you? <laughs> she gets two fantastic introductions to the yeah. film. The yeah. first is just her photograph. Right. And the second one is this. Yes. I mm-hmm. mean, how many characters get to get introduced in a film twice it didn't mm-hmm. take and, and uh, so memorably jane wasn't a big star or anything i don't think she was ever really a big star she was always kind of a secondary star but she was a very popular actor around this time yeah and um and she didn't take a lot of arm twisting to get her to do this part she was she as much as anybody more more so than even reeve jumped into it really wanting it to be a great thing yeah. um just as a side thing, the film, of course, the film is often talked about for its score being brilliant, which it is. Um, the great John Barry, it's a fantastic John Barry score, but I think a lot of Rubes out there kind of associate him with the classical piece of music that really is the theme to the film, mm-hmm. which yeah. isn't by him at all. Who wrote that? I can't remember. Rachmaninoff. It's Rachmaninoff. It's Rachmaninoff. That, yeah. that music that uh, Joel was playing, he can play it for you here in a second if you want to hear a little blip of it. Um, this is sort of her theme. It's 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 accompanied by her all the time, um, and it's not a John Barry thing. But a fun story about John Barry, real quick, so I can get in a last behind the scenes story before it becomes too late. Um, you know, it they were looking for a composer, and they really and first of all, they wanted to find somebody who'd be really really good at this sort of subtle romantic music, um, and one that wouldn't mind that the star of the thing really was going to be Rachmaninoff and not them. And they didn't have any money. They were given no money to hire anybody. And uh, she suggested John Barry. And Schwartz said, I, you know, yes, of course, but I'm not even going to ask him because I, it it would be an insult for me to go and say, please do our movie for 20 bucks or whatever. And she goes, <laughs> oh, well, I know him. Let me ask him. And she did. She just said, I'm doing this movie right now with these Americans and this French guy. And I really think it's special and I think you would be perfect for it. You know, she just, they were pals and she, she, I didn't think she had to smooth them too much because they were pals. And Barry, if you ever listen to him talk about how he chooses projects, he's just, he never knows quite why he's deciding to do something or turning something down. It's a really fascinating thing about him that he just doesn't, you know, he sometimes he gets a feel for something and does it, and it turns into magic. But more often than not, he turns down things that become big hits. He accepts stuff as a result of him turning that down that is, ends up being stupid. Like, he, you know, he never really quite knows what he's doing. And here's somebody, a friend that he trusts, saying, I believe in this thing, and I think you'd be great mm-hmm. at it. And he's like, I'll do it. Okay. And she's like, well, and she just, she just calls back you know and she says you know have the have the producers call him he said he'd do it and they're like well we can only offer it he's like he said he'd do it he'll do it yep. just send him the paper and the script and let's get him going and worked out mm-hmm. worked out really really yeah. good in this case his theme yeah his theme the somewhere in time theme is also quite lovely with roger williams on piano mm-hmm um, yeah, it's it's that's also a pretty iconic theme. This um, this Rachmaninoff part, we we kind of skipped over, it, but uh, when Richard goes to see where uh, Elise lived at the end of her life, he sees the Grand Hotel. She has this music box. It's the Grand Hotel. And it when plays you open it song. up, 
that's playing the Rachmaninoff mm-hmm. piece. And he's like, this is my most favorite piece of music in the world. It's what a coincidence. Yep. Like yeah. all of that? these things, like, why do you have her watch? It disappeared the night she died. Yep. Without going into every detail from here on out, because we've made it. And the, yeah, the, we're, we're too used to doing giant deep dives. We can't. We, got, yeah. so, um, we have another yeah, movie so to talk about. We watch so. them. We watch them legitimately fall in love. Uh, Christopher Plummer plays her manager, who is um, for that. Is it you line is this romantic. We've made it sort of thing. But they're this hurdles they have to get over to fall in love. Yeah. She's yep. very standoffish. Like you said, Christopher Plummer is her manager slash mm-hmm. handler slash don't, doesn't let her get near anybody sort yeah. of guy. Is He considers his primary function to protect her virginity. Um, she, the, It's fun. We get to see her in action on stage, and it's not – after. Uh, it's very clever switch that after all these ro- or super romanticized stuff, she's not in some heavy melodrama. She's in this light chamber comedy where yeah. she's this really funny, charming, goofy person, which is not the person that we've met. Mm-hmm. So you really get to see how actorly the character is, which I think is groovy. But I, I he wins her play. over, just like he yeah. won over that librarian. Joel. Yeah, he wins. He wins her over. And, and going back to what you said, real quick about about Jane Seymour creating this whole character, creating this this believable. Uh, likable person. She is standoffish, but she's not mean. She's standoffish because she's been told you're going to meet someone mm-hmm. who's going to absolutely change your life, change right. everything, um, and and it's going to be tragic. Um, and she sees this, you know, really incredibly handsome guy, and she's just like, that's what, you know, she's like, oh, so she's standoffish because she also feels that connection. Yeah. And, and and you get that whole sense from her just, you know, even from from moment go where she says, are you the are you the one or whatever the, the specific line is? Yeah, she's and she's scared of this thing. In a yeah, way that she she immediately feels that connection that that he you know, he clearly feels it, but he he doesn't, you know, have this. Uh, yeah, and Christopher Plummer is uh, hell bent on stopping them getting together. They they are able to run off and spend the day together, essentially falling in love. And, and in he's this such beautiful a, 19... it. They come to grips with what he really is late late in the film, which is really cool. But he's up until that point, he's such a what you would expect this part to be. He's mm-hmm. he's this controlling, you know, the obsessive. He's a yeah, he's a... He no. really, he's he's had to do this with several men before. He's never met someone quite like Richard, but he's very, very good at keeping these guys away and working every function that society mm-hmm. has to offer to do it. And there, there's this point where it, it's not working and he sort of breaks down and just levels with Richard and says... Yep. The, she she could be special and what you're can only be an impediment to that even if you're not an impediment somehow to her happiness you you can only hurt her from a career standpoint and Mm -hmm. you know and he and and reeve has this great moment too where he's i misjudged you i thought you were just this you you love her and and plumber's fantastic in this scene because nobody does that moment up a little bit though uh because right before that is when she has this, she performs on the stage and goes off script. And that's a great moment for her. I agree. And, Mm -hmm. and another moment where you just see them connecting right at that curtain call then for intermission. 
they're taking that photograph and she's sitting there trying they're trying to get the because they very much fall in love during montage right they go on a boat yeah, they, ride they, they really do all do. this yeah. stuff it's you know we don't we don't see the hard part of them it's so magical that you don't need to but we the, to be fair the film sort of takes that off the let's get to know each yeah. other stuff you get a little bit of it especially before they start falling in love because he they have the dinner conversation and everything yeah. but the film's very clever in the way it culminates with that theater scene and follows it up immediately with this sort of backstage yep. literally and figuratively scene with Plummer's character and and unfortunately it that that these two gentlemen have an understanding of each other and they have her best interest at heart clearly both of them but Plummer's not letting up and his his final gambit you rob you know the movie better than me you probably explain it but what what happens where we think our lovers have truly been torn apart before that amazing reunion scene right so Plummer's character lures christopher reeves out there they 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 have that conversation i think it's his one last chance to try and just get rid of him friendly right in a Mm -hmm. friendly way like do you want some money to go away what is it or whatever yeah and christopher reeves like no i love her right yeah we're gonna be together Yep. And we're gonna be married, so, and I don't, I don't want to stand in the way of her career. She'll still right. be an actor. Everything's gonna yeah. be great. What's your problem, dude? Yep. Yeah, because he has to control everything. Yeah, right? well, yeah, because well, and Plummer, it it's, her... it's not even that matter of control. Although that's certainly a factor. He he doesn't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> so what yeah, man believe him. stumbles into this time period and says, "Oh, my wife can still be an actor." Like we have to understand yeah. some things about the era that that's. Married women it's not thing. believable, really, yeah. from his standpoint. So yeah. he, he doesn't so take he him at his word leave, after that. Uh, you know, Plumbers hired some henchmen to Got some uh, take Reeves out. Tie Beat him, him down a little bit and lock him up so that he stands her up before she has yep. to leave town. Yep. And he wakes up with a horse in his face. That's right. That's right. And that's not a euphemism. And he thinks, um, he thinks he she doesn't. I mean, he's ready to cross the country to find her. Yep. But he's looking around the hotel. He's finding the empty theater. He finds all this stuff. It's this super tragic, sad moment. We think yep. it's the saddest thing we're going to see, probably, which is very clever because mm-hmm. it's this isn't that sad if you really think about it. But the work feel makes you feel so yeah. distraught over it. Yeah. Which they have which, these plans. Everything was going to be great, and, then and he's left. sitting in this this shot too. I can't. I I know he's up top. Just on this long on staircase He's, down to the yep, large yard this, behind the hotel. Yep. And just, it, I don't know what kind of lens they're using, but it's they've a got split him diopter lens. Focus, it's split. And then it's classic the split diopter, but she's, yeah. she's a million miles away out there. And you just, you can see her and you recognize her shape. You her know everything. Yeah. She, you yeah. recognize her. You know, that's her. She's also sad. She's walking her head hung low, yep. walking up. And then they, he turns. She starts screaming and running towards him. And he hears her and he sees her. And they run down these large We don't hear her. We so just see her start, on. right? It, it's No, we do, we do hear a Richard. We do hear, yeah, yeah we, we do. do hear a big Richard. Well, it's, and, um, it's stunning. It's a stunning visual mm-hmm. moment. It's really, yep. really amazing. And so she, yeah, so they get together. And, and it wasn't it something is, they could storyboard or something he could have dreamed up when he watched the novel. You had to yep. be there at yep. the place looking and going and, oh, and having that yeah. spark of, of inspiration that made you go, this is how I'm going to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they, they consummate their love. They are together. We know that they are, 
uh, you know, and and so then she they says, know it. They know that they were always meant for each other in this moment. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. high romanticism of the you know because the mm-hmm. lovemaking's fairly chaste, but this yeah this we know it now. Like it's okay. Yeah. This is this is essentially the, their wedding. This is where they know that they are together for the rest of their life. For right. you know, they they have no intention she, of ever being apart. She didn't go. Apart. She stayed. She and stayed. Look, he's and, looking you know, for me. You know, it's this yep. perfection and, thing. Um, Romantic so then, perfection. So then uh, they're they're just having some food and a you know and blissing out in their in their little nest. Um, and she's Don't like, well, talk. one of the first things we do are going to get you a new suit. Because yeah, they've been commenting is, throughout is how old. awful his suit it's, is because it's, suit, it's about 10, ten years old, eight, ten least. years out of yeah. date, which at that time in fashion is really old. To which, uh, to which he uh, is like, what is wrong with my suit? I think my suit is great. Look, it's got all these pockets. You can keep everything. And, and hey, look, it's even got these, these great little coin pockets. And uh, you know, it's, he got a coin. <gasps> and he pulls out a penny. And we do a zoom in on the penny, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yep, the zoom in on the penny. And says the penny, 19- what does the penny say on it? Nineteen seventy nine. And this, and he here's another it. visual moment that will slow this down for just a little bit. Oh yeah, it's and it this is pulls, just a simple filming technique, but something about it. And he, he looks, he looks up at her and connects with her eyes with just utter fear on his face you can tell mm-hmm. he's he's seen this thing and we've seen it too so we're not sure what's going on but we can feel it that mm-hmm. penny that penny's it ruined everything right <laughs> yep everything penny. Is, so and he starts to fade <laughs> back drops. and pull yeah the penny drops he we starts see it sort of from back. his point of view and she just she's she screaming his name calling his name but she keeps getting further and further and further away more faded more she's not even there and it's all an old-fashioned optical but it's it's just it's an astounding moment Mm -hmm. and he wakes up back in 1979 in his room uh and he back and he has to get back he has to get back yeah he can't and he can't and in the end we find out it's because he's holding that penny in his hand. It drops out of his hand after he's been trying for hours to get back. Right, right, right. Hours, days, weeks. We're not really sure how much time yeah. passes here. We we know the strength of his resolve, though, and I always, yep. I always believe that it, this went on for a long, long time. That he, that he didn't. I like to believe that he didn't really because he he dies in this sequence he didn't really kill himself so much no. as he he just kept trying until he just he had couldn't left he just he had no way yeah. to yeah he prioritized his will his will yep. to try to do this took priority over everything including food water rest yep. anything and when, when the when arthur and the uh hotel manager or whatever break in and they see him they're sitting in he's sitting in front of the window he's got the same view that the old lady had on her last night. Yep. Looking out. And it's just, and, and, the, and, they and then awesome. we, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and we see this and we have this moment where suddenly he's laying on the bed and all of a sudden we, we get an overhead shot and yep. see him laying there getting CPR performed on him. So, you know, we, and then that fades up and into a bright light and waiting in this light is once the stuff. penny has fallen out of his hand. No. it's more than that they're both gone now yeah um yeah it's this vision mm-hmm. of the the 
the person from your past welcoming you to heaven, essentially, and they embrace, and the Rachmaninoff kicks up, and the end. And that, yeah, and it's, it's, um, so... Yeah, it's, it is this beautiful, we, beautiful... We blew through the ending because we're out of time to talk about this movie, but that ending is agonizing. It 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 doesn't take too long on screen, but it takes just long enough to make you feel helpless. And like it just can't happen. Like it really... Mm-hmm. His attempts to get back to her go on for a while. Yeah. And we experience that impatience and that frustration mm-hmm. and that devastation that it's not working. Whatever worked before isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a... It's weird. I mean, it's kind. Yeah, it's kind of a tragedy ending because they don't get to live their life together. But we do get to see them get together, where we know they'll spend. Presumably, if you believe in that, they will be spending eternity together. Well, it's this. It's this romantic thing where they experience Mm -hmm. this true love for this however much time. The tragedy is crucial to its success. Yeah, the fact that this film. Because I, I line with you, I'm not sure it's an unhappy ending. I think it left romantics fairly exhilarated as they're yeah. as they're met again in heaven and embraced or whatever. I think whether you believe that or not, if you believe in the the true love part of the story, that yeah. gets you in the heart basically at the yeah. end. But it, which of course, yeah, which of course we've seen that you know, and that has been you know that has been uh, something that we've always seen that true love, no matter what you know, true love will yeah. will will exist beyond life. But the analysis. And, uh, of it when you look back yeah. on it that the tragedy is the thing that the yeah the, the, they never them being ripped the... apart is the thing that makes the thing work without that you know we saw what we thought was some old-fashioned movie version of that just moments ago yeah and we were all oh, oh they found each other oh. you know yeah. and then to really feel it it's it, the movie it's a bait yep. and switch the movie pulls on you that uh, matheson does something similar that's why it works so great yep and it it it's his twist ending basically. And it, it just works like gangbusters because I mean, if you've been paying attention, you're thinking about, you know, that he doesn't get back to her because she comes and says, come back to me. No, we know, Um, we know as soon as we see the penny, he knows, I think too, somewhere deep down, but that's the whole thing is you, that's why that moment is just, you know, he's not going to get back to her. You know he can't live because how does he go on and marry somebody else five years from now and mm-hmm. keep writing plays? I mean, this was his true love. Right. This is the way it has to end, and they still give you a happy ending with them both dead somehow. And, you know, <laughs> it works. Yeah, it does. It, works. it, it does work. <laughs> um, it makes all right. you happy at the end. You're like, oh, they're together. Yeah. Yep. So if um, so if somewhere in time is a story of time travel working working great actually well just and, just real quick as a post-mortem on somewhere in time sorry okay. i know you're trying to move on because i keep telling you you have to it's mean <laughs> to stop you just i was going to say that one thing about the producer that producer right. and the studio and everybody they tested this film it tested off the charts positive they everyone who came across it all these same people who didn't believe a lick in the thing before they started shooting when it was in its final form all loved it so much that they they changed all their plans for it. They they stopped treating it like a little movie. They put it out in a major release. They did a lot of commercial advertising for it. The film was considered a big disappointment at the time because of those pressures that they put on it once they realized it was really good. He says, looking back, they the film outperformed in their hearts and minds before it 
underperformed at the box office. He said, we we got ahead of ourselves with it. We should have rolled it out slowly. We should have put it out at festivals. We should have let word of mouth build about it. That's the kind of movie that it was. That's yep. that's ended up being what happened to it once it left theaters. Yep. But it really underperformed in theaters because they they believed in it so much by the time it was finished. Mm-hmm. It's just the tragedy of somewhere in time that I think is worth talking about. Yeah, it's one of those movies where if it's put in front of you, you're going to love it, but you have to want to sit down and watch it. And it's a mm-hmm. tough sell, especially yeah. in this post star wars world they yep. they they sold it hard but the it's Superman a tough world. sell it's like it took time to find the people that really really loved it and there's people that love it there are people that still meet annually at that hotel yep. and celebrate yep. this film they're they're granted that's a, to have another kid it's a diminishing yep. <laughs> group of people but it's it that's the kind of fandom that the thing inspired yep, yep. just this utter devotion. That's very true. And, and every shop on that island has stuff from it, related it, to it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It drives a lot of tourism to Mackinac Island. Is that I'm where you sure. got your photo there? That's where I got my photo. That's so you to have that photo. That is that, that is one of the <laughs> I coolest got all sorts of postcards of, and everything I could find. One of the coolest pieces of movie memorabilia I've ever seen. I'm saying that unironically. And when I saw you hold that up, I'm like, oh my God. Of course you have that, and that I, it makes me want think, well, I should get that too, although that my place is really no place for a thing well, like that. But. Before I had my theater room, it hung in our bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> and but now I, it's right by my popcorn machine. It's, it's where it well, it's not It's not nearly as good as my piece of memorabilia. Oh, my God. But, <laughs> that, um, is, that, that is uh, unique. <laughs> it's something um all right so if somewhere in time is an example of of time travel working and working great and um and, and then ultimately though it doesn't work out at the end because the time travel pulls our our lovers apart and they don't get to spend uh their life together it works um, they had their they had their moment and their sure, love but they didn't get to, they didn't get a thousand suns and but their the tragedy of it is souls that they don't are get entwined to for all of the, any metaphysical eternity that you believe in sure sure but um for the sake of my transition here that i worked out I'm going to say that it didn't quite work out in the sense that they didn't get to spend the rest of their life together. Um, They uh, um, time after time is an example of time travel uh, again, working, but it does not, it does not work out where, um, where, you know, the people, it's not, it's not exactly uh, working out solid. It's it, it, we end up having um, people moving forward in time um, and, and and frankly, uh, a good a good number of people dying. And uh, <laughs> we've we've spoken about Nicholas Meyer on the show before when we talked yep. about the seven percent solution. Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, most famously probably for him. Um, the film he did in between those two projects was this one, Time After Time, and this was his directorial debut. Um, and this was his sort of, again, it's sort of similar to what Janot was going through. He wasn't owed any favors, but he wrote a, a modest enough thing. And he was, because that novel, 7% Solution, was a huge, huge top bestseller at the end of the yep. 70s. People don't fully appreciate that. Someone had, a lot of people had written Sherlock Holmes stories, but this guy came along and wrote what is considered and is still considered all these years later, 40 years 
the greatest non-Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes story ever. And that that just put him on the, on the map as this super talented guy you had to get. And he wrote this very uh, clever story. It's structured like H.G. Wells' Time Machine. But Wells is the main character in it, played by Malcolm McDowell. And... He builds the yeah. Wells actually builds this time machine, and it's got he's got it in his basement, and he shows his his whatever I don't know what you call them his, his buddies, colleagues, his bros, his club fellow club members or whatever yeah. these other high society guys. His his hashtag squad. Yeah, including his this physician played by David Warner, turns out to be Jack the Ripper. Spoiler alert! Doesn't take. Doesn't take long to get this premise out of the way in this film. Unlike no, we, we unlike somewhere in time where there's this long buildup. This is rabbit tat tat. This is yeah. We we find out right away because we start with uh, Jack the Ripper yep. uh, claiming a victim, and when when he claims a victim, he you plays know, this little tune on his uh, pocket watch. Yeah, and I, I'd, um, I'd actually like to go back further than that. This film opens with the Warner Brothers Shield, mm-hmm. and movies weren't doing that. No, they had that. Then. I this me and Nick disagree on this, but this is worth mentioning. Okay. The the uh, they had the great red double yeah. zoom Saul Bass yep. logo at the at uh, the front of everything, and they yep. continued to for a few years. Yes, they Nick's did. Nick's great they line about change. that is, yep. that looks like something After you this. should stamp on the right. side of a piece of office furniture." But it is perfect for this film to open like this with that sky yep. opens in Victorian England. It has this sense. It um, it opens on the most famous shot on the most famous street of the most famous Hollywood back lot of Victoria yes. in England. Like that, yep. he doesn't pull any punches. He's like, I, I, you know, I could have been like, oh, this isn't original. We've seen this a hundred thousand times. But what I realized was that my movie, and I love, I've talked about it time and time again. You know, uh, Keith Gordon, all this list of these people. Nicholas Meyer, just go on YouTube. Any of his symposiums, anytime he shows up on something, anytime he does a, a commentary for one of his films, which he does for this film, he is the most intriguing guy from a storytelling standpoint to listen to talk about the filmmaking yeah. and writing experience, man. He just listened. He's got this brief interview that we quoted earlier in the year when I was talking about. Uh, uh, Joel actually brought it up, uh, Volunteers, on the John Candy episode. And he's got this great, it's one of the greatest quotes in Hollywood history as far as I'm concerned. He said, uh, he said, uh, two elephants says Thailand. One elephant says you can't afford two elephants. <laughs> that's, this, yeah. that's Nick in a nutshell. That quote per- perfectly personifies his sort of wisdom and his sort of snarkiness and his kind of, you know... And he's and, like, and, you know, this is the kind of movie that would start on this street with this door, yep. and it, 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 he does, and it's awesome. And and the score for this film also, I love the score. Who does the score feels, for this? Goldsmith. Uh, this is Miklos Rosa, a four-time Oscar winner. Really? Um, yeah. Old and old-timey does, Oscar winner, huh? Yeah, old-timey, but that's what this film needs, particularly the way it opens here. For sure. But then it carries into the modern times, and it still has that feel because our main character is from then. And the design of the whole film, even down to the the time machine, Mm -hmm. you could see it being made by George Pal in 1960 when he made 
the time machine <laughs> film. It has that feel. It yeah. has this classic Hollywood feel. And I, I love it. I, I love Victorian England. I love things set back then. Me I too. love Sherlock Holmes. Me too. You know, and this film this does carry time. Victorian England with it everywhere it goes, even though it mostly takes place in modern 1979. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, the, uh, Anyway, Wells messed up. He he did unwittingly, but he showed his time machine, which really is the time machine out of all those old photos. Yeah. Apparently, it was a really problematic, cheaply made yes. prop, but yep. but in its defense, it looks brilliant it looks every time great. it's on screen. It it, it yep. looks perfect. It's this gold, weird, like yeah. really a Victorian idea of what a spaceship would look like. And Meyer said it was. He, he was inspired by his love of the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. wanted yeah. the design to, mm -hmm. to sort of be similar to that. And, and they delivered that. Totally see it, it. Yeah, it, it's really awesome. Unfortunately, yeah. Wells has shown it to these old guys who are like, Bravo, Wells, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just <laughs> oh, amazing. I can't, surely it doesn't work. Well, they have this mix of what you yeah. would think, this incredulity and mm -hmm. this, ha ha, you were... Ha <laughs> whatever. You blah, blah, blah. truly are um, a, a visionary but, of the future. But his super tall doctor friend is like, he's, <laughs> he's thinking he's something like, else and not saying anything. Well, it turns out he's Jack the Ripper. He steals the time machine. He takes it forward in time to 1979. A really, really good time for Jack the Ripper to show up in terms mm -hmm. of... He shows up in modern San Francisco, right? Frisco? Yes. Yep. yep. Um... In 1979, and 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 then the time no machine returns and home to him. Wells has era. time has to chase after time into the future. Yep. Wells had these other plans, but now he's got to stop this guy. They, he finds out in a convoluted way that's not important who he is and what's happened. But uh, but one of the magical scenes is when Wells shows up in the H.G. Wells exhibit at a museum in his own time machine where this it's been on display for all these years. Mm -hmm. They found he, it. Yeah, he forgets his, his glasses place. back in England, yes. so he goes to his desk where they've recreated his laboratory, and they happen to be sitting right there for him. That's, that's one of those wonderful time travel mm -hmm. things. That always makes me like a, the six a sister joke of that is in Star Trek Four, which Myers co-wrote. Yes, um, you know Kirk's gonna uh, take his pawn his glasses, and they say Bert so they can have some money to spend again, again in modern San Francisco. It's no yeah. coincidence that that's all the same. Yep. Uh, Nick Meyer, real quick, you know they ask it. Wrath of Khan's the best Star Trek movie. We all agree on that. Yes. He he disowned. Star Trek basically said, if you bring Spock back to life, I mean, that, then what was the point of all this? He was really, really upset about that. And um, so he had nothing to do with the sequel, but they came kind of crawling back to him after a couple of years have gone by, and they're like, um, you know, how about this one? And he's like, no, no, you guys, I'm sorry, I'm done with that. I did what I wanted to do on Star Trek. And they said, well, here's the story. What if you just, you know, you don't have to do, direct a movie. Leonard will direct a movie, but what if you just wrote this part right. where they, the fun part where they go back to, to you know, modern day San mm -hmm. Francisco. And he did. Meyer wrote that entire section of the film. He, Harb Bennett took the future and lead up scenes right. to it. And he took that and it's, it's chock full of these sort of time travel references and stuff. The yeah. glasses is great. Yeah. He goes there. He goes, weren't those a gift from Spock? McCoy says to him and, uh, uh, 
Shatner's got the great line, and they will be again. That's yeah. the beauty yep. of it. The, uh, the, <laughs> the great thing that, that Myers does in that film, particularly more, mm-hmm. but in this one, he finds the, the correct balance of putting in little bits of time travel humor. Yeah. He doesn't overdo it. No. In, in Time After Two, he's not overdoing it. It never feels like it takes you out yeah, of the film. There's, yeah, there's, there's never this... Of, moments that like yeah oh, there's he's an extremely clever writer and can't help yeah. himself yeah. but he does as a writer and as a director he knows what to keep the focus on and mm-hmm. the focus yeah, and the, they never do too many fish out of water jokes they never do you know not it's too never, many and not too many but just enough that yep. you know because you know because it could turn into you know it, it could well, well and like, McDowell and it, who had just played Caligula yeah. and who had been in, you know, um what's the Kubrick Aqua film? Orange and, yeah. You yeah. know, he's was this guy who had this this screen persona that was, you know, out of this world. And here he and this really works because it's a lot of it is on McDowell to play that wide-eyed wonderment at the future yep. whilst also being a proper English gentleman who's still very well-mannered and and doesn't gawk at or freak out about any of these things. He keeps his yep. composure throughout. He is on a mission, after all. But he gets sidetracked from his mission, of, of and it's a great... H.G. Wells, just that, that's, a one, that's a, one of the best one-sentence pitches in all Hollywood. H.G. Wells hunts down Jack the Ripper in modern San Francisco. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, time, and it's called time after time. That's that's awesome. Um, but uh, he gets yeah. sidetracked. He uh, he he didn't come here looking for his true love, and yet he trips and falls yep. into the chair in front of her desk anyway. And I've told Joel, I have nothing more annoying than watching Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz pretend to fall in love with each other and. <laughs> Vanilla Sky when they're actually falling in love with each other that literally makes me throw up in my mouth. Right, but it and works yet here, and yet here, yep. You you had these these two were married. They had a pair of kids together. You literally are watching Malcolm McDowell and and and, and she had been in that western that Nicholson directed. Going south, but and and, and a scattered things. But this wasn't a big star. Um, yeah. What's her name? Mary Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen. Steenburgen. Thank you. Her second film. Yeah. 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 So. And she's, uh, both of them say this, she's, there's something, I mean, uh, she obviously Mary Steenburgen, we know what she is now and all her, how her personality gets grafted on these sorts of characters that she plays and everything. But what they both say was that what they were both taken by was Nick Meyer, most of all, but Malcolm, because he fell in love with her. And he always tells his kids, if you want to see mom and dad falling in love, just go watch time after time. It's all there on screen for you. You can Mm -hmm. see the whole thing. Um, Nick said just, you know, he wrote these words, but the way she said them was unlike anyone sort of talked at the time. She had this weird way of making the stuff her own and making it unlike anything else that anyone else did. She's really, really unique person on screen, and she was an absolute steal in this film. And they, again, it was one of those things where they kind of did convince a bunch of people that it should be her and not somebody more glamorous or whatever. They sort of he sort Nick of had, had to, to convince, convince himself, himself, right? Because he thought yeah. it should be this blonde. modern blonde yep. sort of you know fast talking lady yep. that he fell in love with, and what he found was this weird, quirky librarian kind of person. Yep. But he fell in love with her too. Malcolm did. We all do when we watch the film. She's just yep. really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that relationship, 
Warner's Jack the Ripper is very much a part of this story still all the yeah. way to the end. But that relationship and her guided tour through the future with him is really what takes stage. And in that way, yeah. this film is a romance very much like Somewhere in Time yeah. is. It, it's their connection, that love that raises the stakes that makes you care about Jack the Ripper, makes you care about stopping him. His mission. And she's suddenly wrapped up in all this dangerous stuff. You know, yeah. um, he's, uh, Wells is aware of that throughout, but what's she yeah. call him? What's his first name? I can't remember. Herbert. Herbert, Herbert that's right. Yeah. Herbert. Yeah. Herbert. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And then, you know, and then obviously as he is continuing, um, you know, Jack the Ripper continues his uh, Jack the Ripper-ish ways. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, let's, in, let's, let's talk about Jack the Ripper quick. Yeah. Um, it, like you said, it opens with that point of view shot. You get the watch. This watch will be... Oh, uh, sorry, Jack the Ripper set. films open with a point of view shot of a murder. Whenever, well, whenever he's going to uh, kill somebody, that watch comes out, that music plays. Mm. Um, you know, there's a link there with somewhere in time with the watch and a theme music that, you know, is, is I hear the music. Yeah, mm-hmm. there it is. Nice. Um, but Myers had this philosophy with this film. He, nobody was going to see a knife go into another person. Right. Um, he didn't want to do that sort of thing. But what he did is so much more terrifying. Every time Jack kills that first point of view shot after that, you hear this ripping sound as mm-hmm. you watch the girl's With this eyes just lose terrible their... music yeah. box music playing. Yep. A little. It's almost of like a, it's. It, I mean, it is a. I mean, I know. Obviously, it's a rip. It's a rip sound. It almost sounds like a zipper. Yeah. Going though, it, you like. It it's yeah. It isn't a I'll realistic you, sound given the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a not a, yeah. it's a sound cue that tells you what's happening, yep. and it's it's smart smart stuff. Yeah. Yep. And for a first time director, it's a very stylish and very well thought out film visually. Yep. Um, more so than I think any of his others. It visually it's stunning. He he knows San Francisco pretty well and and uses all these locations from his imagination, like in very, very creative ways. There's a great foot chase between our two heroes. A great philosophical debate followed by a great uh, foot chase that foot chase in modern fountain and escalator sort of san francisco is it's just it's 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 really fun yeah it's yeah. really really cool you know we've got the, the, the one of the other kills where he is killing one of the prostitutes probably about where we are in talking about the film and you just get a splash of blood yep with that watch sound yep. like a tear down his eye yeah and it just it it sells david warner as just this embodiment of this it's it, the censors can't object and yet it's just so much yep. more horrific than yep. than, yeah. than actual gratuitous violence you brought up the philosophical debate uh, and that is you know that's part of the the heart of this film is hg wells is a futurist he believes that mankind is going to solve all of its problems yep. and going forward in time he's going to go into this utopia and that's part of why he has to go right. stop jack the rippers because jack the ripper has been unleashed on what is undoubtedly a utopia yeah. Right. So mankind is not and, going to and have Wells, any, be able to. Wells is naive enough that he sort of believes in the utopia aspects of the future mm-hmm. when he discovers them. Um, Jack, the Rip, on yeah, the Jack other Rip. hand, I can't remember that character's actual name, but um, John Leslie Stevenson. John Leslie. John, Leslie John, Stevenson. John, as as Herbert calls him constantly. Uh, his friends call him. He can't believe the future he's come to. He's he feels like he's. 
has to up his game because this world is small potato. Yeah. He's small potatoes in this world compared to what he was in the past where he felt he was the devil on earth. Now he's just to make his mark. He's got to, you know, it, it's this kind of terrifying thing. And War both Warner and McDowell, like I said, McDowell mostly because you just never seen him. We've seen him do everything now. He's a long time character actor, yeah. but nobody had seen him play this sweet, nice, yeah well-meaning heroic guy it's it's such a it, again the idea that that Myers saw him and said oh yeah that's the guy he that's the guy who should do it or that mm -hmm. he saw you know that he was about to cast uh, Kay Lenz or whoever and then he saw uh Steenberg and it said that you know yeah. whatever that is whatever I was thinking that's the thing like that bit of spontaneity and, and is fantastic. And Warner, you know, he was a huge fan of David Warner. David Warner is the guy. He's the guy of, of Myers that carries forward into all his projects. He shows up again and again and again in all his films and, and other things. Um, because they're just, I don't know that they're pals really. I think he just, it's like his, his good luck charm. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Warner kept coming up to him and going, keep it short. You know, short little lines. Keep the cut right. short so I don't have to learn too much. All right, have a good day. And then he would kind of go away. And, you know, Meyer said he's always kind of exasperated and, and off his balance over these things that Warner would say to him. And finally, at the end, he got the balls enough to say, hey, man, you played Hamlet and stuff. What What right. is this with the you don't want to memorize a bunch of lines stuff? That's ridiculous. He's like, well, you never know. I might forget him. The process. And he's off. Mm -hmm. well, that's the process, isn't it? <laughs> that's the yeah. process, right? Yeah. It's uh, so funny. So, David Warner's good. a character, you know, I love him. Yeah. And um, in this, he plays, he's playing this ominous villain. He brings a little quirk to him, but he keeps it. He, I think he mm -hmm. realizes that too much, too much character, too much ripper is, right. doesn't work. So he plays this yep. really low. He and, keeps it. Yeah, it's his it's, calm like and control on in him, these moments of terror are. But he plays it so that that lid could blow off at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, he does that really well. And ultimately, the thing standing in the Ripper's way is the fact that H.G. Wells is still here, um, and uh, so he he needs to get. He's going to get in that time machine, and he is going to go. Uh, you know, I guess even further into the future. Um, Who knows? Or just him. go somewhere. He's got to go somewhere, and where H.G. Wells can't get to him, um, so he needs to make sure that he that the uh, that the time machine yeah, the will key. not come back to its yeah. destination, so that H.G. Wells can't continue to chase him, because yep. um, he knows he H.G. Wells is like a is like a hound dog at that point. He's like, I will. He's track an equal, you to the he's ends a, of he equal and opposite adversary. John recognizes that right away. He tries and, to uh, kind of talk to him, like, well, let's just go our own way. Look where we are. Mm -hmm. You don't, what do you care about a few people dying yep. here? Just, you know, but I'm home. Yep. He turns on the TV and shows him all the violence. And he says, I'm home. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, um, it's you know, really he, even, he even, yeah, he even threatens HG Wells, new love. He even threatens uh, Amy and, um, you know, and, and holds her hostage until that's, I mean, that's ultimately how he Isn't, feels. She, he can she's, get a, she's a, she's a, she's a banker. She's, she's a, a bank teller at the bank of yep. England in San Francisco, yep. right? She's a current, she does currency exchange. So she's already um, taken with all things England. You know, mm -hmm. that helps their relationship grow a little faster. There's a lovely bonding scene with them in a rotating restaurant that's all done in one shot. Really great 70s one-shot scene with the camera. It didn't even move. It's the rest. 
if the restaurant doesn't feel like it's moving, you're moving with it. It's outside that's moving. It, mm -hmm. There's mostly that's just cool for cool's sake, but there's also a uh, what's moving and what's not. There's a there is thematic richness to that. Yeah. Um. His when it actually becomes Hitchcock time and it's just chasing, sneaking around in the dark, cops showing up, uh, him getting arrested, you know, running through the park, all that stuff at yeah. the end of the film. It it. It's all done really, really well. There's a couple. There's one shot of I can't remember. If it's a car pulling up, or there's a shot out the window of something. What is that? That's so awesome at the end of that film. To me, it's very. It's um, not. It's not Hitchcock in that. It's so genius. It's just. It just going the extra mile to show something with the ultimate amount of visual interest that you can muster in a in a modest oh. film. Uh, well, yeah, keep an I, eye out I, for I, it yeah, when you watch yeah, it. It's yeah. really, really good. That um, that stuff. Watch the. You know, I don't know. Maybe you don't watch shit stuff for this reason, like I do. But if you do and you pay attention to that, really watch watch the setups in that. Watch how the the somewhere in time is this very old timey, almost fuzzy, hazy, degraded, spherically yep. shot. You couldn't have had that split diopter if he'd have shot that in super widescreen. You couldn't have done right. it. So right. he. He used his tech to the best of its ability. In this, it's like uh, it's not so old-fashioned because it's a widescreen adventure yeah. tale. Even though it's a very modest one, the, the Warner Brothers shield on the widescreen frame. Yep. It, you know, I love that this one's two three nine. It's the one. It's a gorgeous film in that degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the depth add, and the the visually the way that he fills the frame with stuff in the yes. background in in the foreground yeah. very very I, solid filmmaking for a first time director you know i had both of them on laserdisc and uh <laughs> somewhere in time was um pan and scan and it you know it's not that much different than right. what i'm watching now right. but somewhere in time played great on hbo because it really yeah. was Exactly. Close and enough. It wasn't. It feels like there's a whole. It's much, much better, proper, but it it played yeah. really, really great because it was shot more intimately. Summer in time on home video didn't look very good. It looked like a kind of gray, hazy mess where you weren't quite seeing everything that was happening. That scene where they get on the two crosswalks. Yeah. In mm -hmm. the chase, that is it. That whole thing takes up you the mean. full frame of it at yep. one point or another. And on TV, when you cut that in half, it's it, yeah. it works, but it, it 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 the the grandeur of it is gone. Yeah. Right. Um, actually, time after time, had two laser disc releases. I owned them both. The first one was pan and scan. Blech. Then they re-released it in widescreen, and I had yeah, to buy it again. You had to buy it again. Yeah. You never should have bought that pan and scan. Mm. I know. Well. It's the only way you could see it at the time. Y'all, we'll get to that in Ryan's video corner. Gonna buy um, scan. You might as well buy the VHS. We're not gonna do Ryan. We, hopefully, we'll get your questions, <laughs> but we're out of time for that. That's a right. point. Um, all right. So uh, okay, but there'll be plenty the, of video corners in the future for me and okay. So me and Rob to quick, talk about the wonders of laserdisc technology. So while our our heroes <laughs> in somewhere in time never got to spend their earthly life together, uh, I was this, certain. Can I just say I was certain these two were doomed. From the start. And when the movie tells you they are, I completely believed it. Hook, line, and sinker. A truly, I don't know why, maybe I, I don't know why, but to the point that I've seen this several times through the years, and at least a couple more times throughout the years, I believed it again. I believed this movie had this terrible ending where she was killed by Jack the Ripper, where he was ultimately stopped 
I don't know why I believe that and continued to believe it even after I saw the movie. I watched this again recently, not for mm-hmm. the show, but just sort of a couple months back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, good. I forgot about that. Oh, good. It only killed the roommate, killed the buddy. It, that, which is impactful yeah. enough, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. The, it really is because she's a sweetheart. Well, and you get the moment where, you know, where he believes that she's dead. And uh, I believed you know, it. And, I really believed and, it, too, because this film is set up that it really could be that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do get... She is know, set up as a tragic character the first time you meet her. The she Jack, should not Jack be involved says, in any of this. I'm not going back to you. I, I have my own life here. Mm-hmm. And you he's know, like, so I can't like, stay here because that is my home. Yeah, I have I have to do all of this stuff that is in the museum here. I I, yep. I can't stay here. And um, you know, they do. Uh, he is end up. He does a. Uh, he sends Jack the Ripper, uh, soaring through time without the help of a time machine. Um, That's one, the uh, resolution know, to the big fight, the big duke it out yep. at the end. Yep. Yep. Which is kind but, of a neat um, idea. You know, so they say their goodbyes and, uh, you know, and he gets in the her, uh, H.G. Wells gets in the time machine. He even starts it up and it is it is going. And she is like, nope, I got to come with. She runs hey, and jumps into his arms. Yep. It's very romantic. And, and so he stops and he's like, and he like, does gonna, the what? He, it, oh, hey. Malcolm does this very old school like take to himself. it's it's lovely i mean it's very old-fashioned but it's you know the film has avoided stuff like that and yet when it gets the opportunity to do it it just goes for it which is very crowd-pleasing and And she and she jumps in jokes i'm gonna change my name to susan b anthony and uh you know and we'll you know don't expect me to be like some housewife now but yeah um, it's funny because you listen to listen to nick talk about it and he's like he goes, you know, I I even knew when I was writing that stuff, like, <laughs> what she, she she shouldn't be going back there, like, uh, you yeah. know, a uh, uh, a modern woman has no place in Victorian right. England, right? Um, but he goes, but the movie demands it. The the yeah. the people eating the popcorn demand it. You have to deliver on that in whatever way you can. And that's a, I mean, that's a, that in and of itself is a romantic way of looking at this moment that I admire. So, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and, and the movie closes with uh, saying that they got married and H.G. Wells went on to write about socialism, global war, space travel, and women's liberation. Wow. Um, so, and that, yeah, so that is time after time. And that is our fantastic Rosa double feature. Win? Do you know any of the other things that Composer won the Oscar for? No, I'd have to look it up. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I started to look here. I started to look here, and then we got talking about other things. So, uh, just curious because um, I don't know him because I don't because I'm stuff. I'm woefully yeah, is, terrible about Golden Age Hollywood, as you know. He uh, let's better, see. He, uh, his first nomination was to be or not to be in 1942. Uh, there's unfortunately there's no great like list here that says uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no last film. double indemnity oh. uh, and for the woman of the town that one I've heard of <laughs> um, those no those were just nominations so he's I don't, yeah, well he, he could have won for things yeah. he was nominated for another yeah. Oscar nominated was for the killers in 46 uh, I know that one too really well he, actually he wrote the theme for dragnet nice um so that's another one that we would know yeah he wrote a a whole bunch of stuff here it's cool i just give Um, a shout out to him because i breezed right past that yeah i i think the music's great 
it's fantastic. It's not quite the game changing star of the show like it is in Somewhere in Time. No, but it is no. it is fantastic old fashioned musical score. Yeah. And Meyer's sense to keep it old fashioned even in the future it pays off. Of course, that's not yeah. all his idea. That that was the style of the event film music at the time was this Yeah. Orchestral but, like that had happened in the late seventies, that switch back to the old school orchestral score from this all these experiments that it had been doing yeah. in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. What what I, I find really striking about that is that the by keeping that score, it keeps the film from feeling dated. Yeah. If mm-hmm. it had some 70s disco, and there are a few shots where... Uh, just enough to, so that you know where you are. What but, time period, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. because he didn't fill the soundtrack with that, it 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 doesn't feel dated, really. It's really... Yeah. It, I mean, it does feel a little dated because... because yeah. It, by the time we meet John Leslie Stevenson in the future, he's adapted to the full-on bell yeah. bottom he's lo- modern yeah, he is 1979 man. Fever. He is home. Suit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because David Warner is the least fashion averse person in history. <laughs> yeah. If 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 it was cool to wear an ascot for a couple years there, he wore ascots everywhere he went. He he literally like just is what whatever the next thing is. So it's very cool to see you know, buttoned up Malcolm McDowell, you know, with his, with his, who doesn't change a lick the whole time. Mm-hmm. When you first see Stevenson, just the way he's moving through the room, like he's a modern man. It's, yeah. it's very cool. So that's a, yeah. that's a cool movie. And we think that's a great double feature. Yeah. We were debating a little what order it should go in, but I, I really stand by my, the, the action-y stuff, the big third act action ending, like the, the, Time After Time, to me, is the later night movie. It's the after you've had the big, heavy experience. This is the one you sort of cool off and relax a little bit with. And yeah. I, I think they play great in that order. But, but Rob, and, Rob, you and your son watched them in the other order. So. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, and his George preferred Time After Time, actually. Uh, Not so much what you prefer as to kind of the flow yeah, of the thing. It's a little... But, you know... Uh, you know, I think I saw somewhere in time. I was probably nine years old. And it became one of my favorite movies. It's the same time I saw Time After Time. Me too. One of my yeah, favorite movies. Very, I saw them. Not they weren't new, but they were just a couple years old. Yeah, saw them in the home video. When, uh, you know, anytime I started dating someone new, I sh- showed them somewhere in time. Yeah, you did. Because if they didn't like <laughs> that, they're not on the same romantic wavelength. Either, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might as well get this out of the way in a yep. hurry. You're thinking. Nice. You got some questions for us, Joel? Uh sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had some stuff about paradoxes and stuff, but um, uh, we're gonna do. Uh, it's a brand new feature to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. It is called Doctor Clock's Time Glorious Mind Scrabula. Hope there won't be math. It's even worse than I had imagined. Gonna go back in Their very person could cause a great big ripple effect throughout time itself. Is this 
Is this revenge against me for making these so long in the first I'm place? I'm afraid the intro no. is all we'll have time for. Honest to God, I did not realize it was. The, uh, I mean, I made the thing this morning, and I did not realize it was that. My long. favorite Rob Schneider part ever. It's not Rob Schneider. Oh, it's, who is uh, it? Kevin ne- Kevin Nealon. Kevin Nealon and uh, Kevin did that. And I always pictured Kevin, that as yep. Schneider. Nope, Kevin Nealon and. Uh, well, that's and, good because uh, now Dan I can go Harvey. back to not liking Rob Schneider for anything, yep. which is what yep. I vastly preferred. All right, cool. Um, go ahead. Uh, okay, so um, I'll just I'll do this um, since we are talking about double features uh, and everything. If you had a time machine, now we're not going to talk about paradoxes or anything else or the effect on anything. That's if good. you had a time machine and could go back in time and see a double feature, uh, so this is you know you have to think about the what, like two movies that would be in in the would be at, like a drive-in at the same time. Is there a double feature that you would have loved to have uh, ha- have seen? Is that a name a movie that question in oh disguise? So, well, Joel? sorry, yeah, kind of. <laughs> or well, I mean, does but something come to mind, Rob? It's a pretty cool. It's question. more of an event. It's it, it's like is there something that was like an event? You know, I remember when I was a kid seeing Conan the Barbarian followed by E.T. Um, actually, it was E.T. followed by Conan the Barbarian. Um, Just like I was yeah, I think I think I would go back to time, and the the first film would have been just about leaving theaters, and the other one uh, just arriving, and I'd go back and see Time After Time and Somewhere in Time <laughs> together. That's a good theater. one. That we was should do really, a show about that. That's, that's a, a really really good yeah. double feature. Yeah, very um, very cool. Okay, here I'll make it. I'll make it. Uh, if I could recreate one. anything, I mean, the place I would go is. Uh, Sacramento, California, that's where I was the day that um, Empire Strikes Back came out. Mm. I was on vacation in California, and we were visiting friends in Sacramento, and we were, we had been, we got to go see Star Wars 2, that's what we were calling it, because we hadn't wrapped our brains around what it was actually called. Um, Star Wars 2 is coming out, we got to see Star Wars 2, the whole trip, just got to go see Star Wars 2, whatever, this wasn't really opening day, it was... But it was, you know, the Wednesday after opening weekend or something. And fortunately, we showed up at this Friends of the Family or whatever. And they, their kid had been promised he could go see it this day. So even though they had said, we're not seeing movies on vacation or whatever. They're just, parents are so stupid. Star <laughs> Wars 2. Star Wars 2! What are you, it's not just a movie. It's everything. Screw mm-hmm. the vacation. Like, truly. Screw Disneyland. Nobody cares about any of this stuff. we got to go see Star Wars 2. So, and I'll just, I'll never forget that, that moment in that theater at that time. That I've never experienced anything like it. We The, the kids in that theater, and they were adults, but it was off the hook. It was like you could have got electrocuted just by touching another person. We were bouncing off the walls with just completely un, untethered like excitement over this thing we were about to watch, and and then it, although we were all a little gobsmacked by the end of it because that's a pretty downbeat ending if you recall. Speaking mm-hmm. Rob of going out the theater at the end, yeah. But nevertheless, you were just you were so exhilarated by it and so amazed by it, and you just you right then that's when it started. You got to get the figures and I got to get to Tauntaun and we got to, we're going to do this and we're going to reenact this film for the next seven years, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I, I, it was neat that I remember that and that knew sort of enough to savor it at the time. Um, but there are other favorites where I wish, where I saw them and I didn't know what I was experiencing. And you grow with movies. We talked about that on the show. I wish I could see uh, Summer of 82, which you're talking about. I wish I could see a double bill of uh, Khan and Blade Runner maybe, or maybe Blade Runner and The Thing, although I'd ever saw The Thing in the theater and I don't think I'd want to. It feels like a movie you know, that's better off on your TV at home in the middle of the night. Going back to what you're saying about a movie growing with you, I saw Murder by Decree in the theater. 79. I think I was too young, but it made a big impression. I loved it. That's I a film that very much goes with the ones we're talking about so right much now. More of it. Yeah. yeah. Was that my number one or number two? Number one was Sherlock Holmes film. Yeah. yeah. That was it, very cool. It it lives up to that. It is very, very good. I don't know yeah. if it's number one. I've only seen my part of the Sherlock Holmes films that have ever been right. made, but of the ones I've seen, that's my favorite. That's a great one. Well, there you go. That's Excellent. Fine, we're we're going to do it. Gonna go back in time. All right. Um, <laughs> so that was Dr. Clock's time, Gorius Mind Scrabula. Um, soon to become a fan favorite here on uh, the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Um, all right. I think that is going to do it for us for this week. Um, again, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and and what a wonderful, uh, and thank you for bringing this topic to us, uh, this idea of a double feature and talking about these two, two really super fun films. Um, well, and clearly and, we can make a show out of it. So there'll be yeah. more double features with Rob episodes in the future for sure. Cause I yeah, have a lot of fun lot talking of fun. about these two. Great. That sounds awesome. Um, all right, friends. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us this week. You, again, you can reach out to us. Do you have a favorite double feature? Did you read, do you want to tell me about how much you love Dr. Clock's time, Gorius man's mind scrabula. You can reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at uh, ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram and the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on YouTube, which if you are watching this, you are already there. Go ahead, click that like and subscribe. Um, all right, folks, thank you all so much for joining us this week. And until next time, have a wonderful 4th of July and we'll see you later. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>